It's midnight, and you're listening to Midnight Theology, a podcast where four pastor friends talk all things Christianity, leadership, and culture, and a bit of how they relate to the Wesleyan Methodist movement. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and I'm joined by Gabe Wank. Hey. Sarah Wank. Hey, y'all. And Adam Penn. Howdy. So, thanks for joining us again. Happy Advent. Turn the lights down low, turn on the Christmas tree, grab a hot, a hot cup of holiday cheer, and settle in for a rockin' good time. Let's go. Okay, guys, so we all survived Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, and we were all, like, really busy. So like really what did you, you guys all do for Thanksgiving? Well, for the first time. In forever. In literally forever, <laughs> or ever for that matter, we were able to host our family at our house. Wow. Because we live near our family for the very first time. So that was a novel experience. It was a great experience. We had uh, 25 people at our house on Friday after Thanksgiving and nine at our house on Saturday. So we did my dad's side and my wife Jessica's mom's side. And it was really wonderful. So, yeah. Awesome. Is it too soon like, to ask did... if you'll do it again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, we're, uh, we're hosting Christmas. So, hey. yeah, so double double header. We're making up for lost time. Hey, that's so. awesome. <laughs> your, your wife deserves a medal. Mm-hmm. She does. She really does. She is the hostess with the mostess in all things. Yeah. All right. Wanks, what about you guys? I feel like we're still surviving Thanksgiving. A little bit. <laughs> uh, we uh, drove down to my mother's place uh, where I'm, uh, I'm from in southern Illinois, and it had been entirely too long since we had had a visit home, uh, months and months. Um, and so it was good to be home and to be together with my brother and sister and uh, my little nephew and uh, my mom, of course, and uh, got to see the aunts and uncles and cousins that live close. Um, it always goes too quickly, you know. Um, it's somehow <laughs> exhausting and not enough time. I don't, I don't know how that happens, but, um, uh, you know, there's just something special about being home, and um, we got that. My, my mom lives just kind of in a special, quiet spot, um, and it's good, a good place for us to get away to. Uh, right at the end of our visit, quite literally, as we were literally like packing the house to leave town, my mom had an injury. Um, and she is uh, seriously physically disabled from childhood due to polio. And she had an injury to her arm. Uh, we may have overworked her on Thanksgiving Day, feeling a little guilty about that. That left her pretty uh, immobile, and um, so it kind of sent the end of our Thanksgiving into a little bit of chaos and uh, trying to figure out what her needs will be and to care for her and if she'll be able to recover. Uh, We've learned in the last couple of days that um, physical therapy will be of big help, and um, hopefully she'll still be able to kind of gain back the mobility she does have um, in some capacity, but we're kind of waiting on bated breath to see how much strength she gets back. you know, and how it heals. Uh, so if y'all want to pray for that, you are welcome to for my sweet mama. To, um, to, to highlight prior to the injury and the trauma that that has uh, brought about for everyone as we're navigating that, one of the firsts uh, to celebrate for our Thanksgiving, um, boys, you will love this, uh, professionally smoked turkey, deboned on a platter, covered and ready to reheat. Picked up 
and reheated uh, for Thanksgiving. There was like no muss, no fuss, and the turkey was delicious. Uh, shout out, shout out to KB Barbecue in Go Marion, KB Illinois. <laughs> Nice. It was amazing. Yeah, Vicky was like, like, you know what? This year, let's try something new. And she went with the uh, the smoked turkey, and we ended up with like two full fifteen pound turkeys worth of meat. It was we, we had enough meat. We didn't for, mean to. It was an accident. Yeah, we're gonna have enough meat for like July fourth next year. <laughs> but you know, like the older we get, just like you know, feeling like you have to do all the things all by yourself. And you, you know, the older you get and the more tired you get, you're like, yeah, we don't, we don't have to do that. There are, there are other options. And so we embraced mm. some other options and it was, it was delicious. Next year, Cracker Barrel. <laughs> hey, that's, hey, that's our, Easter, that's buddy. Easter, every Easter. <laughs> Ain't no preacher's family got time to cook Easter dinner. That's what Cracker Barrel's for. No, wait, 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 wait. No, there is one preacher's family. It's the penthouse because <laughs> Jessica's like Superwoman. Uh, <laughs> because when a preacher has a wife, it changes everything. But when the preacher is the wife, yeah, or the, the preacher's the, husband, the clergy couple dynamic. Yeah, there's no hope for us cooking on Easter. I make Let's the devil fair, eggs. It could though. be the pastor's husband. That, yes, I make, a, I make a mean cup of coffee on Easter morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky to make it to sunrise service on somehow now you have me wanting deviled eggs we're supposed to be talking about christmas and deviled eggs larry are exclusively for the spring for me now i'm now i'm a holiday confused at the moment so sorry <laughs> you're up larry uh okay so we uh we did our normal kind of routine we went and had uh noon uh dinner with my side of the family um and we're just uh Realizing how lucky uh, I am that uh, I still have uh, two of my grandparents, um, so uh, it was it was good to be uh, to be with them and spend some time with them. Uh, we missed my sister and her family; they all had the flu, uh, but they are loyal Midnight Theology listeners. So um, <laughs> it was it was just it was funny. We Facetimed that morning of Thanksgiving, and um, the youngest Amelia she said, "Uncle Larry, I puked five times." and <laughs> My sister's in the background going, no, honey, no. you puked one time in five places. Because oh, no. <laughs> it, oh, yeah. it, it, it wasn't stomach flu. It was respiratory flu. It was just how much they were coughing oh, uh, yeah. was the thing. So we FaceTimed with them, and then uh, we did a quick visit to see uh, to see Brittany's folks. Um, and we did One thing we did different is uh, instead of trying to make it down in time for noon, we went the night before and stayed in a hotel, yeah. which, goodness, was awesome. Like, uh, the girl swam for a little bit. Um, but there was a really awkward moment to it. I don't think I've told any of you guys this yet. I got up really early. I was like one of the first people down for breakfast at the hotel. Always. Which, like, like hotel, always, yes. But hotel breakfasts are not phenomenal anyway. Right. But especially on Thanksgiving, I felt like they cut some extra corners. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm writing on my iPad, I'm sipping coffee, and I look up, and there's a guy across the room staring at me. <laughs> And I keep like trying to glance up and see why is this guy looking at me? It is the father of the last girl I dated before Brittany. <laughs> who, li- who lives out of state now. Happy Thanksgiving fairly, to you. I, I'm fairly certain still wants to kill me like over 15 years later now. Um, you broke her heart. He was just sitting you? there thinking about how he was going to do you it. Broke yeah, her like, heart. He, he got up, he got more coffee and he went right back to the same seat and just kept drinking his coffee and looking at me. And I was like, oh, does he still carry a gun? Are you um, <laughs> Like happy Thanksgiving to me. Uh, no, so, yeah, that was a weird, weird story. Did you do that girl dirty or something? That's another story no, for another day. No, I just, 
I just, yeah. No. Broke her heart. I, 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 this is your chance of redemption, Larry. He may listen to this <laughs> cast someday. She may listen. You might want to say something. I don't know. I, the redemption was Brittany, so that's all I got to say. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Anyway, enough about that. Um, I doubt they listen. Um, so, okay. So we're on the other side of Thanksgiving now, and we find ourselves like fully into Advent. And for most pastors and ministry leaders, and really for all families, it's off to the races. Yeah. Right? Um, and for church fast. leaders, especially, there's there's decorating. There's um, staff parties and caroling and we're planning our Christmas Eve services, so on and so forth. Um, but what I'm astonished by, and that's what we're going to talk about, is I thought we were past the worship wars in the early 2000s when <laughs> we started to finally throw in the towel on contemporary versus traditional uh, worship music. But it seems like every year around Christmas, we pull up something else to war about, like the Starbucks cups or Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays. Um, and the, the, the worship war that I'm seeing emerge this year um, is, is kind of on, on, on two things. Uh, the first is about whether to have worship on Christmas Day because it falls on a Sunday. So what, this happens like what, every seven, eight years, depending on, on, on leap year. And every time this has happened in my ministry, someone will ask like, early, are we having church on Christmas? And my response has always been, of course we're having church on, on Christmas. It's Jesus' birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just this kind of emergence of, of kind of battling about that. Like in our culture, is Christmas Eve the, the main event? And maybe you could take um, Christmas Day off, even if it's on Sunday. Um, and it's, it's just this kind of worldwide sentiment, I guess. I saw a Twitter thread from a pastor in New Zealand. Uh, where apparently Christmas Day has always been the main event. Uh, Christmas Eve is not really a thing mm. uh, for church culture there. So if Christmas falls on a th- if Christmas Day is on a Thursday, they have church on a Thursday. That's cool. It, and they said for church staff, they always hate when Christmas falls on a Saturday or a Monday uh, because then you have to do church two days in a row. Yeah. But what they're running into this year is. Churches who have always, forever and always had church on Christmas Day are going, oh, well, since it falls on a Sunday, we're going to let people have time with their families. And they're not having church. Even when they've um, done it bef- like before? Like right. The ch- like the right. tradition is changing? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Just because it's on a Sunday. Um, so I, I think th- that, that's, that's there's two pieces I want to talk about. And this is actually kind of the simpler one, I think. So what do you all think? Um, Christmas Day is on a Sunday. What are your thoughts around it? So yeah, no, I grew up as a pastor's kid. So Christmas was, you know, when it, whether it came on a Sunday or not, you were there. Uh, Sunday morning, you were there. Um, I don't think ever did we miss a Sunday morning, and so that's just been my tradition and and practice uh, in ministry. So uh, we keep on keeping on, uh, and knowing that it's going to be a little different, and it does become different now that uh, we have a child in the home and. There's family far away, and we think about all the different travel plans and how that works. Uh, but yeah, um, church, the church uh, gathering, the church uh, needs to go on and continue in, in a particularly special time, even if it's Sunday morning. Okay, next. Yeah, I mean, prob probably because we're preachers' kids, but um, you know my. 
dad's general policy and and it's sort of now my general policy is we're having church. So, you know, people would even freak out about do you cancel it for snow, you know, trying to protect some people's safety and, you know, the weather. And the general policy was like, you know, we open it. You're grown people. You decide if you can get there or not. But we're here to worship the Lord, whether that's three people or 300 people. Um, And so that I can't fathom um, sort of choosing the secular tradition over, you know, the the holy worship um, of, you know, celebrating uh, the Savior every Sunday, but it, particularly on that day. So for me, there's there's just this there's this piece where like uh, the world in so many regards has started putting the family dynamic or secular tradition before the church and church works around it. And I think we've gotten off um, at a step, right? That that it really should be, you know, church. And then we figure our, our plans around that. And for anybody that's kind of bristling at that thought, I mean, like, Gabe and I not only survived it, it was, it was normal for us that like on Easter Sunday morning, uh, we saw our Easter baskets, the Easter bunny came, but then we went to church. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And when we got home, we did the Easter egg hunt and opening the baskets and Easter dinner. Um, if church fell on a Sunday uh, of Christmas as a kid, we just got up earlier, right? To open the presents and do Christmas Eve the Santa opening thing. presents, you know? Oh, we didn't do that. But <laughs> <laughs> we just got up at the crack of dawn Santa on Christmas hasn't morning. Come yet. Right. And and we opened our <laughs> presents from Santa and then we got dressed and we went to church and we worshiped the Lord. But we've we've done this thing where we've said um, our tradition and our convenience has to work around church instead of church being the the cornerstone of it. Now as I say that. I have noticed another shift. Um, recently, churches doing like um, between Christmas and Easter, like a volunteer off Sunday. So they like cancel church to give everybody a break, the people who who run the church, you know, the volunteers and things. They might stream it online instead. So some of our culture has shifted the like churches open every Sunday dynamics anyway. I also just sort of trust that if a pastor is making a decision, they've got a reason they're making that decision. And good on them, right, to know their community and their context. So, I think about it kind of from a practical standpoint, in addition to what you shared, Sarah, which I think are, are really good points as to why we should consider um, doing worship on Christmas Sunday, is Christmas is one of the few times a year you get to reach unchurched people. Hmm. And if they're showing up at my church on a Sunday out of the very few times they might ever show up at a church and we're not having church, that's a problem. So, you know, if I'm going to miss an opportunity to share Christ with someone who I would get very limited opportunity to in the first place, that's a, that's a big deal. So, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of my practical consideration in the midst of it beyond the theological reasons for it or the, the you know, whatever other reason you might want to say, you know, just the practical uh, evangelism um, b- behind it. That really so. tracks, you know, if, <laughs> if the church is all about Christ and this is the birthday celebration, where's the church? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, and I think your point about the, what, what's at the center, Sarah, right? You know, like, uh, are, are we centering our practices around Christmas around the life of the church, which is truly why we're celebrating it in the first place? Or is the church centering its practices around whatever our practices mm. might happen to be and trying to accommodate to those? Mm. You know, we've gotten it backwards for sure. I'm glad you named that because, like, it makes me physically sick to my stomach, the thought of, like, people trying to come to church and not being able to get in church, right? You know, um, yeah. like, we, we've we had some of those conversations around, like, locking the doors to the church, you know, Um around church hours for security sake or whatever. And and that's a difficult thing for me. If somebody is going to take the very courageous step to go like, this is the day I'm going to church or this is the day I'm coming back to church and for us to not be there, um, I, I, ugh, like it, it makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> yeah. Yes to, the, yes to all that. Um, I remember my student appointment, it was my second year, Christmas fell on a Sunday and one of the larger churches in the area thought that they were being very gracious to the rest of us saying, you just don't have church. Just tell people to come to our church. (laughs) Um, and we'll all, you know, we'll worship together. And I remember thinking, what if that's the Sunday though, that, that, that someone's going to choose to, you know, there's something, maybe there's something nostalgic about it. Like I used to go to church on Christmas with grandma, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think the practical reality of it though is, is that most people are not going to come on Sunday. Right. I think, I think the practical reality is this happens every seven or eight years. Right. And so for, for, for seven years in a row, you do what you want on Christmas day. And for some, it will not be the, the holiness factor if I have to gather with the church. So I think most churches are preparing for smaller crowds Mm -hmm. on, on Christmas day. We're doing one service. We're planning on it being uh, fairly short. So I know you guys are going to be surprised to hear this from me. (laughs) What if we did both and <laughs> like, what if we, we anticipate the fact that a lot of families are going to stay home on Christmas and instead of, um, and I'm not saying any, any of you made any guilt ridden statements, but instead of throwing guilt at them, like some people are, I mean, I'm seeing that, that a lot. Um, and I get it. Families travel this, that, and the other. Um, what if we equipped them to have church at home? I mean, we just did this this thing with Gannon Sims on our last podcast about about every house is a house church. So, what if we equipped them to 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 worship at home? Um, so, one of the things we did at our church this year is uh, I'm sure you've seen it. It's been on Pinterest and all this other stuff. No, I don't use Pinterest, but somebody shared it with me. Uh, I'd lose sure, a man Larry. card. I would lose a man card. Um, okay, right off the bat, it was like an advent calendar that was the names of Jesus. Um, and it's it's been around out there. So we produce these at, at church, but took it a step further. So we, there's got this advent calendar. You turn it around, uh, these cards that hang on a clothesline. <coughs> um, and it's got one of the biblical names of Jesus on it. That We made a book, too, that goes along with each day of Advent with a short family devotional, wreath lighting liturgies. And we put a full liturgy um, for families to do together on Christmas morning. Like, hey, we want you to come to worship. But if you're not, worship where you're at, yeah. and we want to we want to equip you uh, to do that. Uh, so I think that's just part of where I'm at. Like I, we spend so much time bickering over stuff at the holidays, um, holy days. Um, like it's maybe we just need to embrace what what is and, and find a way to be the church in the midst of it. I I, I get on the same 
the same hose when it comes to uh, youth travel sports. We can gripe about it all we want. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. So we yeah. need to find find ways to engage families who are traveling for sports instead of making them somehow feel like they're um, they're less of a disciple because they've committed to this, whether it's something we would do or not. Um, so I think it's a both and. Um, kind yeah, of thing. there should never there should never be. I mean, the way we're trying to inflict guilt on like saying a pastor is a bad pastor because they're canceling. No, I assume they know their context and their situation and their needs, and they're making a wise decision. My guess is that they don't want to not have church, but something has put them in that position that that's the best decision. Uh, You know, if a family is making that decision because they're traveling or, um, you know, it would be difficult for them to manage, then bring church home. Uh, But the sense in any capacity that we make people feel guilty for engaging in church. I mean, not only should we not be doing that, but I think it's one of the things that's been very off-putting to younger uh, emerging generations is that they've experienced or they or their parents experienced some of that, like, hey, why weren't you at youth group this week? You know, like just making them feel so guilty instead of supported and embraced and doing the things of faith. Um, I mean, our Christmas morning worship will be humble and lowly. (laughs) But, you know, that's Christmas. And those who want to come, uh, we will worship the Lord. And those who don't, we will encourage them to worship the Lord at home. But uh, why we pit each other, you know, with guilt and is infuriating. I definitely agree that we shouldn't be in the business of guilting people because obviously guilt isn't going to bring people in the door of a church. Um, But at the same time, I do think we need to walk the line between... um, like kind of like we were talking, you know, accommodating the culture and also remaining steadfast, not just around the holidays, but in the way that we help people put church and and their their commitment to the body of Christ at the center of their lives throughout the year, mm-hmm. um, because that that is something that we're losing across the board. It's not just the holidays; it's it's right. culturally. Um, the the church is moving out from the center of people's lives into the periphery, mm-hmm. um, and and that is a problem. I mean, it just it, it it is, and every pastor I know has experienced that. Um, and so I think the the larger question is, and we don't have to answer it on this podcast, but I think the larger question that that every church has to grapple with is how you know how can we help the folks here uh, put put their commitment to the body of Christ in, in this congregation back towards the center of their lives? What practices can we foster that would lead people to that place? Um, you know, what kind of community can can we encourage here that will we'll lend to that? Um, because I, guilt isn't going to do that. Mm-hmm. There's no inherent value to guilt aside from godly sorrow brings about repentance, you know. Yeah. Um, but... Um, I think the church has done a disservice in just saying you need to put the church at the center without equipping multiple yes. avenues. Yeah, that's one of the things we talked about with Gannon. That's been my whole research is temple synagogues and tents. Mm-hmm. And, and I keep I keep going back to the sports thing. So I I, there, I have a group that travels together for sports a lot, and they started feeling this disconnect. Um, like just watching a replay of worship was not 
uh, was not engaging for them. So we, we started figuring out what are some tools that we can get for when you all are traveling together anyway. Mm-hmm. So you're out of the ball diamond or you know, getting ready to go into a gym on a, on a Sunday morning. Do church together. Be priests to one, an- to, to one another and do that. And I don't, I don't see any less commitment to the body of Christ in that even though they found themselves in this season of, of heavy travel. And I think the church's, M, uh, not MO, the church's response ha- has been to throw up our hands and say, well, if they would just drop sports or if they would just put church first, mm-hmm. you know, and some of that is true, but some of it's just also just the reality of the world that we live in. Um, and yeah, we like need to be equip- equipping and raising going up to. people. So, so, so if they're not going to, is there a, a better and a best? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, how instead of guilt-ridden, um, you know, motivation, do we provide compelling motivation uh, that says yeah. th- there is a God's best for us, right? And, God, yes. and God's best would be uh, the committed, disciplined gathering together in the body of Christ for the worship of the Lord, right? That it's a sacrifice of time. It's a connected connection to community. Uh, but best isn't always available. So, mm-hmm. so is like better – Right, that is still good mm-hmm. and still pleasing. Striving, to the Lord. it's striving toward best. I mean, even with yeah. the sports, the analogy works perfectly. It's trying to be the best you can be in your athletic competition, uh, and Wesley would call that sanctifying grace. Right, we're going on toward sanctification uh, and and perfection uh, toward Christ, uh, believing that it was attainable to. You know, live as Christ lived as a human, right? To be as sinless uh, by omission or commission. Um, am, I, am I preaching to the choir, the, the yeah. Papa Wesley? Yeah. Uh, the understanding of, of what grace is. There's a prevenient grace that comes before. There's the justifying grace. It's just as if I'd you know, been not not been broken, but I have been justified by his sacrifice. And then I go on. Once I receive the grace of God through Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, I go on toward perfection as I seek more of the things of God in my life on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. That's the that's what we're striving for in, in our Christian faith and walk. And sports bring a direct analogy to going on to try to win the prize, to try to outdo one another, uh, but uh, you know, spur one another on toward uh, ultimate uh, athletic perfection. And yes, there certainly can only be one winner, uh, but that's in, 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 in the analogy does break down eventually, but in the kingdom, there is one winner, and it's Christ. And well, he invites anybody to come to the table and be a winner with him and, and be shared co-inheritors of the kingdom. Um, I think that's that, that's part of what we, we we struggle with in in this is we want and part of it's the conditioning that we had the um, I tell younger pastors all the time now that the the church I was trained in seminary to lead no longer exists. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yep. I am an Enneagram three. I am a recovering perfectionist. I used to have a quote that hung on my office wall that said, am I allowing what is good to stand in the way of what could be great? Mm -hmm. And in my recovery from that, I've begun to say, am I allowing what is good enough to be blocked out by my pursuit of great? Mm -hmm. So, of course, we want everybody there on Christmas morning. The reality is that's not going to happen. Is it good enough, to Sarah's point, to equip families, 
to do worship where they're at. If you get a family who otherwise would have just ripped into their to their presence and had their Christmas breakfast and given zero other thought to Jesus the rest of the day, if you can get them to spend mo- a moment in worship together, that's church. Yeah. And that's good enough. Yeah, like there are different wins. You know, yeah. the ideal or maybe different levels, right? The ideal is the worship of the Lord together with the whole body, right? That's that's the ideal. Um, but the win might look different for every family or every person along the way. Mm-hmm. And we've had in our culture of extremes right now, the tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater, <laughs> right? Like, well, if they're not going to come to church, just forget it. Um, and, and to your point, Larry, right, if if somebody engages at a level they weren't engaging before, it is a win. It is worship. We should support it. We should cheer it on. We should uh, find ways to resource them. Because if the grace of God is at work in it, then the win for their level will hopefully grow to new levels, right, over time. And um, and they and they won't stay the same. And what started as being satisfied with um, a quick morning devotion, you know, uh, in a few years, hopefully... They long and hunger for more than that, and the win levels up, right? To, so, to Gabe's point of sanctification. Yes. Yeah. It starts somewhere, and, and then it, it brings about this hunger for, for more. So seven or eight years from now, when it rolls around on Christmas morning again, uh, Christmas rolls around on a Sunday, go, let's go to church together this time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what I hear you saying, and this applies to more than just Christmas, is kind of what can we do as a church to create on-ramps for people that all lead towards kind of that goal that we are that we should be lifting up, I, which I I don't think a lot of churches really are at this point, um, but that that we at least have a goal in mind that we're stating to people to say, you know, this is this is what a committed follower of Jesus looks like. These are the sorts of practices they embody. Um, and we're going to create kind of on ramps for anyone to kind of come along on that journey as we all grow towards this mm-hmm. goal. You know, um, but part I think you know part of the problem is we we haven't even like stated a goal. Most churches haven't. Like, it's well, just I think we of... all we all probably had really good goals heading into twenty nineteen and and twenty twenty, and those were blown. <laughs> oh to hell. well, yeah. Well, no, yeah. I mean, and, obviously, and, and, that's but, a totally different conversation. I, 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 but, <laughs> but I think we're, I think what I'm saying yeah. is I think we're all still recovering from yeah. that bomb going yeah. off. Sure. And the kind of goals that churches were working towards at that point, which were primarily attractional only kind of things, right, those right, right. are not going to be the goals moving forward. No, no, forward. no. And, you right. know, so what I'm talking about here is, is you know, lifting up a uh, kind of a picture of what a committed follower of Jesus looks like that individuals can strive towards yeah. together. Right? I, yeah, I remember, you know, even <laughs> we have not been able to effectively define what a disciple is. <laughs> let alone make them. And I remember my dad... a whole separate podcast on yeah, this topic. My dad... <laughs> Say had, that, sister. My dad would have these very frustrating, you know, sort of committee conversations with other pastors, you know, at district and conference level. And they spend the whole time trying to describe or define a disciple and they can't get into an agreement about it. And um, <laughs> so how have we been making them if we don't know what they are? Um, and, and quite we frankly... We digress. Yeah, we're we are now, you know, reaping the failed harvest 
of not making pretty very effective disciples, you know. Because um, we don't even know what one is. Because we don't know what one is. And, and right. actually, me... it was Poppy. It was George, ah. um, George Acevedo, who's like, you can't get mad at them. They weren't discipled well, you know. It's, it is mm. what they're doing, what we pastors or the churches taught them to do. In the 80s and 90s yes. and 2000s. Yes. And so if they're not living it out the way we think we should live it out, it's not their fault, it's ours, right? We did not disciple them well. And probably because we, because we every, weren't defining it. Well, we put everything on attractional ministry. That's what we were taught. Butts and pews was the sign of success. How yeah. do you get more butts in the pews? You lower the bar. Yeah. Yeah, there was no higher goal to a life of discipleship. No. Volunteer more. Oh, it's, Show up it, to the church and volunteer more. It, yeah. It's so easy to join the church. All you got to do is stand up and answer these questions. It's so easy. It's so easy. Okay. Uh, let, lest we spend all day on, day on this, uh, let me, yeah, let me segue like to the next one. I feel this podcast is morphing. You, 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 you hit a nerve, I think. <laughs> so that, there's this recurring theme about um, should we be celebrating Christmas during Advent? Um, and Advent is a Latin word that just means... Adventus. Arrival. Arrival, appearing, yes, it's coming. coming. Yeah. Um, so there was even a United Methodist News article that came out talking about how um, how Advent has nothing to do with Christmas, and I, it, I, this pops up every every few years that we shouldn't sing Christmas songs until Christmas Day. And I guess, like lectionary liturgically, that's probably true. It's certainly not culturally true. I mean, as soon as people take off their Halloween costumes, it's Christmas, and Kelly um, Clarkson comes alive. <laughs> yeah, Kelly Clarkson and Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Oh, Mariah Carey. Yeah, I think of Mariah Carey more than <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, sorry, I don't know why uh, that name. Who, came who lost mind. her trademarking case? By the way, she she was trying to trademark the name Queen of Christmas. What? And she, and she lost it. She wow. She lost her her court battle. So anyway, so that 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 comes up, um, and I get to a point where you know I'm Mr. Both and I think we can live in the tension, like. I'm wearied by these arguments of it has to be this way or it's not right. We can't sing Christmas songs until Christmas Eve because Advent's actually about the second coming. And I get that. That's true. And when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as a child. He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And on his thigh will be tattooed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And like, I get all of that. But can it not be that we live in the tension of we're preparing to receive the Christ child into our hearts anew, understand what God is trying to say to us in the, the Christmas season and through the church calendar and watchfully wait for his, his second coming. So uh, I I get really fired up about it. So I wanted to hear what you guys thought. Well, I mean, Larry, you've, you, you, you did a great job to kind of like, give the full perspective. Advent has been different things over the years of the history of Christianity. Uh, and in its earliest observances, you know, it's this 40 days of repentance, fasting and prayer, new believers preparing for baptisms and, you know, and which would take place on Epiphany, which is, you know, the celebration and the remembrance of the Magi coming and visiting Jesus and bringing gifts and the whole idea of Jesus, God himself, being incarnate in form of human, in the person of humanity with flesh on. Uh, but then Advent morphed over time because, you know, humanity just continues to evolve itself and at least it thinks it does. Uh, and we try to add something new. So then it became more about not just the incarnation of Christ, but the anticipation of his second coming and the return and the final event of redemption and heaven on earth becoming one. 
and then and then we try to figure out how to move forward is it what is what is advent about um I found a quote from a Duke Divinity School uh, historian of Christian worship, uh, Lester Ruth, uh, tried to offer a distinction between uh, the Advents uh, and Christmas. That says it this way, the simplest way I have to distinguish between Advent and Christmas is that Advent uses the word come as a long petition, a longing petition expressed in anticipation, whereas Christmas is a commemorative reflection on how the Lord has come in Christ's birth, and thus kind of a trigger for new redemption, and the new redemption order has begun. But our culture uh, continues to define, redefine what Advent is, what Christmas is, what day we celebrated on, all the fun stuff. Um, but, you know, where is that urgency to celebrate and the urgency to see that God's work is being done and has been done and continues to be done? Um, and just wanting to continue to frame that so we understand what the season is that we're in prior to Christmas. Christmas is Christmas Day, and then following. And that's technically the, the Christmas season as we understand it in the Christian world. Um, and I don't, I don't know if we quite grasp our Advent history well enough to truly celebrate it and prepare. It's like getting ready for Easter. We go through Lent. Advent is the first Lent, as the be, you know, Christmas is the beginning of the Christian calendar uh, as we celebrate that. Um, it, it we're, we, a lot of teaching, as we've mentioned, we just haven't taught well, we haven't practiced well, we've lost some of our traditions because we want to make them new and shiny and different, and we want to own them for ourselves. So don't, don't crucify me, because I, I, I'm, I'm all about... Um the, uh, I like the church calendar. I like the rhythms of the um, the church year. Um, there's uh, Seedbed's actually done this great thing around the awakening calendar um, that kind of shows the cycle of the Christian year, and Adam can probably link that uh, for folks to see uh, somehow. My question is, why, why do we turn into legalists about it, though? Mm-hmm. Like, I understand that, like, but Advent does not appear in the scriptures, Um can it not be both? Can we not say we're preparing ourselves for Christmas and waiting expectantly for this, for the second coming of Jesus. So, um, and and I talked about this and I showed the awakening calendar and worship a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Robert Weber said there are two cycles to the Christian year. Um, and he did this in his book, ancient future time. Uh, and the first cycle is the cycle of light. Uh, that's advent anticipation, Christmas is celebration, and epiphany is proclamation. It's the same way in the cycle of life. Lent is anticipation, Easter is celebration, and Pentecost in ordinary time are uh, proclamation. Can it not? Can we not be in the anticipation of, of Advent around Christmas and second coming? It, it, Does it have to be mutually exclusive? It doesn't, and we're just, it's, it again is a illustration of this very extremist culture that if you're not, you know, on this end, then you have to disregard the other end. And we've bought into that mentality. My question is, what is anticipation in preparation? You know, the liturgical calendar in the Advent season, the version of preparation there is prophetic and largely Old Testament and um, dark and um, very, yeah, very John the Baptisty. <laughs> yes, and for some people, that's very meaningful in preparation for Christmas uh, and Christ's arrival. Um, I do think we have to reflect 
you know, on the darkness in order to fully receive the light. But um, for other people, you know, reading the story of Elizabeth's pregnancy and the Annunciation to Mary um, and Joseph having a dream and the things of discernment and tension and crisis and finding God in it, that is also preparation. So to say that you know, a sermon series that walks through the stories of the people of the Christmas story and where they found God before Christ's arrival, that is also preparation. So just because it's we're not anticipation, ta- yes. yeah, it, just because I'm not talking about Malachi, right, and Zechariah and Isaiah doesn't mean it's not preparation. I would say that if you are a liturgical church and you follow the liturgical calendar, then it makes the most sense to prepare in that way. If you are not a liturgical church and you have created rhythms, because we have, if you're like a sermon series preacher, we have our rhythms, right? We do gospel-focused things in Jesus' life before Easter and, you know, and we tell the story of leading up to Christmas um, over the course of December. But I don't like spill the beans of Jesus' arrival before Christmas Day, uh, the only legalist thing I'm coming. yeah. Now here's here's a spin on this that you probably weren't prepared for. Uh, I don't know. Um, I have one legalist thing about Christmas. Um, I want to tell all the stories. I don't care if we do That's Zachariah and you Micah. Have so many. Stop it. So many. I don't care if we do Zachariah and um, Malachi and you know the Old Testament prophets Isaiah. Or if we do the the New Testament stories of preparation, but I will not sing "Joy to the World" until Christmas Day. Uh, that is Joy that is my thing. Okay. But, so, but, but wait, this is where you're wrong, right? Some would <laughs> say "Joy to the World" is about the second coming. Yes, and some would say it it's is an not Advent a Christmas song. song. Yeah, it is. I, right, he rules the world with. It's a second coming hymn. Right. So so I'll 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 sing it much earlier in Advent. And lots of people love it. That's great. But I, I for me, it's the like he's come like. It's the distinction for me between talking about Mary and the Annunciation and Joseph's Mm -hmm. dream and like, no, Jesus has arrived, right? Like, this is the entry song. And lots of people would judge me for that because they go, no, it's an Advent song. I'm judging you hard. Judge hard. It's it's the second coming. (laughs) I mean, yeah, but but I, I think it's, we can live in that tension and find meaning in both. Like, I remember last year, my dad died December 4th, so my Advent... Uh, what I thought would be the darkness of it, of it was really like I needed the brightness of Christmas mm-hmm. leading into that. Like I needed the Emmanuelness, you know, the the God mm-hmm. God withness. I needed mm-hmm. God to sit with me, and you know, leading up to 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 Christmas, that's that's what was keeping me going. You know, and Christmas was something that Dad and I always did together. Like leaving the church on Christmas Eve mm-hmm. after the last service was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. But Christmas, I mean, I was not focused on second coming. Yeah, I was focused on Jesus came to understand my brokenness and, yeah. and to enter into. Now this year, with you know, like uh, it's it's been a year now. It's been a year of grief and estate stuff and whatever. I'm like, Lord, bring justice. You know, <laughs> and you know, I, I'm much more in the Old Testament this year. And um, I think God uses both of them, right? Yeah, like, why would we get so cranky about if a person is trying to find Jesus in in Advent, you know, find Christ, find light or hope or prophecy or second coming, let them find it in the way that they need to find it. Like, stop being so final about how it has to be done. So my, my thought about why 
people might be so insistent on Advent being more about the second coming than the first arrival of Christ into the world is for the average person, Advent truly is just a countdown to Christmas and the baby Jesus in the manger, right? And so I, I think it's quite literally maybe throwing the baby out with the bathwater to mm-hmm. say, right, that, well, because it's also about this, we're just going to emphasize this because most people just think about the baby Jesus and we need to think about, and that's true, right? Um, both and, both and. But, well, I think really probably the the best way to do it is to to really take a holistic approach of really considering like stepping back and looking at the whole salvation story Um, because even like you think about the book of isaiah it has a triple interpretation right there's the community in which it would have first been received isaiah's community there's the interpretation of the Messiah's arrival into the world, and then there are the eschatological or the end times mm-hmm. interpretations, right? It's a, it's a triple meaning contained in one book, right? Um, Thank you, Professor Penn. You Damn. know, so it's um, really when you start to think about how all of it is wrapped up together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, into, that's, all, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. In, into this larger story and taking some time to name that, you know, so like I got to preach, which I, you know, in, in my current appointment, I don't get to preach every Sunday. So I say I got to preach this Sunday um, about uh, basically how Advent is our annual time to step back and ask what time it is. Um, yeah. In, in salvation history to consider what has come before us and what lies ahead of us to look you know, to look back to the coming of the Christ child into the world and to look forward um, to Jesus's return and to think about how we are our small, tiny, little insignificant, uh, you know, relatively insignificant lives fit into this larger story of what God is, has done, is doing and has promised to do. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I think it's time for our fun episode. You guys ready? Yes. Fun segment. Please right. don't well, let it be last... baseball stats. Larry. Uh, yes. Uh, thank, Larry thank you, Larry. Good last um, time. <laughs> last episode, Larry, the diehard Cubs fan, crushed us Cards fans. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always good when the Cubs can, can feel the crushing weight of a Cubs fan. Cards fan. Uh, yes. So, this time, Larry, uh, instead of bringing World Series baseball trivia that we had no business talking about. You have business talking about it. We have no business trying to engage with that <laughs> matter at all. It's only we fitting that we... we, we <laughs> I know, that's like, pretty wanna, well. This segment's... <laughs> well, yes. Larry needs to answer these questions, not us. Yeah, well, this is for everyone. Uh, you know, Adam already has his 10,000 points. He won uh, last episode, but he, I don't think he has his gold star yet. So we need to get him a gold star, um, but he starts with 10,000 points uh, on the board, and we're going to have to uh, see if we can stump Larry I didn't know they carried today. over. Well, I, I, maybe they don't. Maybe, they maybe were transferable it's points. It's a Christmas Everything's game. made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's time for Christmas movie trivia. Let's see how these random Ooh. facts of spirited movies of Christmas have melded into your fruitcake mind. Uh, and we're going to we're gonna start with some easy questions and we'll move on to uh, some harder ones. Maybe they're hard. Maybe, maybe you'll get them all. I don't know. Let's see. 
So we'll start out with uh, this one. What was the name of Ralphie's younger brother on A Christmas Story? Shoot. Randy. Randy. Yes, yes, yes. Larry's got it. Okay, we're going to give everyone points for Randy. That Shut is up. correct. Shut up, Randy. I mean, Larry I shouldn't should, get Larry points. Should get I points. only knew that because when he said it, I was like, yes, but I would not have been able to recall it on my own. All right, this should, this should be another easy one for you. What does Santa say to Ralphie when he asks for a BB gun for Christmas? And if you get this wrong, you're dead to me. You'll shoot your, shoot shoot your, your eye, eye out, kid. kid. <laughs> Very good, very good. Okay, we're going to get a little harder now. A little harder. Have you guys watched the new Christmas story one yet? Wasn't impressed. Don't do it. Don't do (gasps) it. We didn't even make it five minutes. No, No. it was so bad. I turned it off after the first five minutes. (laughs) Didn't like it. Well, now I'm going to have to watch it to see how it's going. Sorry. You're talking about the the, the Home Alone remake? No, the Christmas story remake. No, Christmas story remake. Oh, oh, that they just released. All right, well, mm. let's go, but we'll stay back in time. Not too far back yet. McAllister family planning to spend Christmas on Home Alone. Where were they planning to spend their Christmas? Patty. One or two? One. Patty. Florida. No. No, that's yeah, two France. days. Florida, it's Florida in the first one. No. No, it's, the it's second, Paris. The second one, they go to Paris. The no, second the one, Paris. That's the first one. You're wrong. Second you're one. You're categorically uh-oh, wrong. Uh-oh, no. Uh-oh. You're no. categorically wrong. The no, second because one we, is Florida. Well, I'm going to, before he, we he break up out in New of York. I mean, we're about to find out. Come on. Right. No, it's you're Paris. right. You're right. Wait, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I concede. I concede. I concede the point. Yeah, Paris. There you go. All right. Yeah. Very good. That was, that was a little bit more exciting dramatic. than we expected. That was, that was dramatic. All right. So let's, let's, let's bring it back down again. Bring the temperature down. What are the four main food groups for elves in the movie? Mm. Elf. Uh, oh. Uh, sh- sugar. Uh, syrup. Uh, candy. Candy corn. Oh, candy. Candy and candy, and candy canes. Corn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sarah, you're close. You didn't get them all. Syrup. Did I say syrup? You said sugar. Sugar, syrup, candy canes, candy corn. (laughs) I I think that's right. That sounds right. You're close. I don't remember. There's only four, and I think you're adding a fifth. Candy, candy corn, candy canes, and syrup. No sugar. Same again? Oh, no sugar. Oh, so just, just candy, candy, candy corn, candy canes, and syrup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Is, it, uh, okay. is it syrup or syrup? How do you say? It depends it? on the day. I say syrup. Syrup. Or from syrup. where you're from? Syrup. 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 All right, this is going to be a hard one. It's going to stump you. I would imagine it's going to stump somebody. What is the action figure's name that everyone wants on the movie Jingle All the Way? I, you cut action out for figure. a minute. Say it again. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, action figure's name for Jingle All the Way. I've watched that movie. Turbo Man. Yes. Turbo Man. Larry for the win. <laughs> I've literally like never Love seen Turbo Man. Give, give me Turbo Man. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone should know this. What popular department store is featured on Miracle on 34th Street? Macy's. Macy's. And of Gimbals. course, it's Macy's. It's, yeah, it's not Gimbals. And their competitor is Gimbals. Well, yes, yes. And so that's where Elf gets its funness. All right. What year did the movie Scrooge debut? Which one? Scrooge, duh. That's Scrooge. The Bill Murray one. Uh, Scrooge. 89? Definitely the 80s. Definitely the 80s. A- Adam? I was missing the, I, I missed the question. I was Googling something. <laughs> <gasps> Not the answers. 
No, not the answer. <laughs> Scrooge. The movie Scrooge with Bill Murray. What year did that come out? I, I said 89. Oh, I'm going to go 87. 88. Sarah oh. doesn't win, but neither oh. do the boys. Split the difference. We were close oh, enough. I know. We'll split right. the points, okay. Larry. All right, split the points. Um, how many days does Santa have to find a wife in the second Santa Claus film? Ooh. I've only seen the first one. It's, no, it's a good movie, but no, I don't remember how many days. I feel it's like it's Mrs. a Claus. year. I feel like it's. I, I don't feel know. Like he what has a year. Do, 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 do. 28 days. Shoot. It'd be 28 yeah, I knew it was, days. It was very quick. All right. Let's see here what I can give you now. Um, what year did White Christmas debut? Shoot. That's one of my favorites, but... 1956. Okay. What else? Uh, 52. Sarah? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little later and say 61. No, you're way late. You guys, man. This I'm is always late. See, this is, this is beautiful. I'm loving this quiz... Just give us the answer. <laughs> right, what has been wronged? Uh, Cubs fans don't know at all. Uh, 1954. I was pretty close. <laughs> You're really close. That's so does great. that mean we split the difference again? We split yeah, the right. points again. All right, all right. So, what is John McClane's wife's name in on Die Hard? On oh. what? Die Hard. John McClane. What's his oh, wife's name? Oh, that's not name? a Christmas movie. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I will die on that hill. Um, <laughs> she doesn't have the same last name as him. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Holly Gennaro. Oh, I think you're right. I was only looking for the first name and you have nailed it. Dude. Well Holly. done. We got that was Holly. impressive. It's the best Christmas movie of all <laughs> time. It is. All right. So uh, we'll give Sarah the first chance at how many floors did the building have on Die Hard? And for bonus points, oh. what's the name of the building? No, I, I like. I abdicate the question. I think I've seen a third of the Yakutomi movie. Yakutomi Plaza. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care even did a you little. Google that. <laughs> no, it's Yakutomi Plaza. <laughs> I don't know how many floors it has though. Harry Frank. Come on, he's, my, he's up there, he's on the I CB lo- radio, he's all oh. tore up, there's blood and sweat everywhere. What a boss. yippee Kaye. 23? <laughs> Reverse it, add two. 34? Five. 35 floors. Oh. 35 okay. floors. All right. Just show you how uh, math. The hey, ghost just, of Christmas. Go, go ahead, go ahead. It makes me have a follow-up question. Is Gremlins a Christmas movie? Yes. Uh, yes, okay. it is. It is. I don't, <laughs> they're, they're playing Do You Hear What I Hear on the record player. <laughs> when, like, anyway, all that being an said, that's all, right. all the that time we game. have for today. <laughs> that was a good one, Gabe. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, next month, we're going to have George Acevedo back with us. Uh, he's written a new book. Uh, called Everybody Does Some Cave Time. It explores different caves throughout the scripture that we all ex- actually experience in life. Anger, fear, depression, temptation, grief, hopelessness, and death, and how these caves can be a surprising place where we discover hope, redemption, and space to be with God. So I hope you'll join us for that. And thanks for joining us on Midnight Theology. As always, we wish you a very Merry Christmas this year. And we leave you with the words of what I think is probably the best midnight hymn of Christmas, and we can fight about this once we go off the air. 
In the bleak midwinter, frost wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter long ago. Our God heaven cannot hold him nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter a stable place sufficed. The Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ. Angels and archangels may have gathered there. Cherubim and seraphim thronged the air, but his mother only in her maiden bliss worshiped the, belo the beloved with a kiss. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give my heart. Merry Christmas from all of us at Midnight Theology. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.